the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Which means scent. Then the man went and washed and came back able to see. Now the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. And others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. The man kept saying, I am the man. Then how were your eyes opened? The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Where is he? I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He is a prophet. The Judeans did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Tell us then, how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Judeans, for the Judeans had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents asked him, He is of age. Ask him. 
So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and the Judeans said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I have told you already and you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but does listen to anyone who is devout and obeys God's will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven the man out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. Lord, I believe and he worshiped Jesus. I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I feel a bit that this is like a fireside chat that FDR had with the country during very challenging times during World War II. Now in, in those days, they could hear the president, but they could not see him, but yet they felt that they were united 10 days ago, my sister-in-law died of a rare disease still not defined. And we left, Ernest and I left on a plane uh, a week ago on Friday to go to the funeral. There was so much heartbreak already over the circumstances. My sister had had a heart transplant, but this is not what she died of. But what was what added to the heartbreak is that when we greeted our family members, my grief-stricken brother, my nephew, my parents, that we couldn't touch, we couldn't embrace, we could 
do this kind of hug and we could put our hand over our hearts. Today, we're not able to be physically together. We're not able to touch each other for the peace. We're not able to share the Eucharist, but we are united in a kind of virtual way today, thanks to technology. And there's touch in today's readings, as much as we miss a multi-sensory liturgy and being bodily present, Samuel anoints David's head with a horn of oil and Jesus takes mud from the earth and puts it on the contaminated man's eyes and then washes and then he sees. Here's a picture of that from a devotional that I read this morning. I remember people saying that if you lose one sense, if people lose their sense of sight or their sense of hearing, that the others develop more keenly. And I wonder if something like that will happen for us in these times of not being together and not experiencing our senses in the same way. So the gospel that we just heard is truly a wonderful one. It's a classic. We hear it every three years during Lent. And from the fourth century on, it was part of the preparation for baptism and for the Easter vigil. And that reminds me that we can imagine in our minds right now, the big candle being brought into the darkened church, thinking about the light of the world and the light we have through Christ's resurrection. The gospel is all about seeing and about vision and about blindness and who sees and who doesn't see. Has anyone said to you the last week or two that this is like an apocalypse? Even my young niece talked about going to the grocery store and going to the apocalypse grocery store. But one author this week said, maybe the word apocalypse isn't so bad for us for these times, that it's a good image because it actually means to unveil something, to see something previously not seen, to see the truth of things, whether that is the truth of the human condition, the way the ways that we are broken, the way injustice is part of the world, or how we might see more clearly what is truly real these days, such as our mortality, our human fragility, the needs of others, our common humanity. When I got my new Honda th three years ago, the blind spots were different from my other car and they still are a bit confusing to me. And blind spots is a good image to think about for all of us, both the blind spots that we have in our own lives and that maybe we're seeing in new ways today. And particularly the blind spots in today's gospel because the people, all the cast of characters simply are not getting it. They're not getting who has the sin and who's blind and who's not. They're, they have blind spots because they first think it's because of sin that this man cannot see, that he's blind, but Jesus reminds him that that's not true. And we must remember in the Gospel of John, sin doesn't mean doing bad things. Sin is lack of belief, lack of a relationship, an authentic relationship with God. So the story has a wonderful healing, but it's not just about healing. That's a short part of it. It's about the community's response and how long it takes for them to begin to get it and how slow the faith is in the man born blind to affirm Jesus as the Messiah. 
It's also a symbolic story because it was written probably in AD 90s, many decades after Jesus' birth, and it reflects what was going on in John's community right then, that Christians were being forced out of the synagogue and having to deal with that sad reality for them. And so much of the story reflects what was going on in that way and is filled with a lot of symbolism. It makes me think that one of the words we could say about this story for most of the characters is that they have a sense of smugness. They're a bit arrogant. They don't truly see this man born blind for who he is. They fear him. They see him as his disability. Smugness reminds me of cloudy vision, of dirty glasses. And spiritually speaking, it's when we have a sense of rightness. And during these days, as we can see on social media in other ways, instead of finding our common humility, it's some of us move to that place of arrogance and um, needing to shame other people for all kinds of positions that they have. One writer said this past week, the more convinced that we have the full insight, that we have comprehension, that we have the knowledge, the less we will be able to see and experience God. Last night on CNN, I heard what has been said often. Assume that you have the virus. Assume that everyone has the virus. Now that's important for our health and our safety. To an extreme, it can lead us to a kind of panic, to an isolation, to fear. But what if through our spiritual vision, we were also able to look on everyone as God looks, as a child of God, and rather being fearful to see everyone with eyes of compassion, that we're all hurting, that we're all doing the best that we can, that we're all created in God's image. As we heard Peter read from 1 Samuel, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outer, outer appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. A couple days ago, columnist David Brooks had some great thoughts that truly stuck with me. He said that we can learn from cancer patients these days and how they face life, that we simply can't know so many things, including the, the future, so don't expect life to be predictable. Don't expect it to be fair. Instead, he goes on, be filled with humility that you are not the grand plans you have for your life, how things can change in an instant. Brooks goes on with an image that comes, that, that, that goes well with today's gospel, that we're all seeing the world through plague eyes now. We're all going through the same experience. Wherever we are in the world, we're all realizing our interdependence and hopefully it will lead us not to social isolation, but also to social solidarity. And finally, he says the great paradox is that we had to be apart in order to learn how to be together. We had to be apart in order to learn how to be together. Maybe that's how we resonate, resonate with the line from the gospel I was blind, but now I see. It's the inspiration for the hymn, Amazing Grace. Sometimes that's all we know, 
grace. I was blind, but now I see. So you may know the words by heart, or you may, may be able to call them up now in the document, but we're going to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was born, but now I Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days receiving God's grace than when we first began. Because of mercy and grace, this is a time that cannot be about blame, but compassion especially for those most vulnerable these days, prisoners, healthcare workers, those in the food industry, the homeless community, those whose health is most at risk. For in the story, everybody sees the blind man for his disability, for his sin, and points the finger in Salem, Massachusetts, the scene of those famous witch trials. There's a mural of a man in 17th century garb pointing an accusing finger, which, but if you look more closely, the, the accuser has a green complexion of a wicked expression, a crooked finger. 
so easy for us to become what we hate and what we condemn. Yet in our story today, the one thought to be the sinner becomes the apostle to others. The one who sees the truth, who sees Jesus as he is, who sees the light of the world. So in these days, we too fall upon God's mercy and pray that God would open our eyes, that we would let in the light, that God would heal all of us, our whole humanity, and make us whole. As we heard in Ephesians, sleepers wake up. Sleepers wake up and walk as children of light. For God looks on us with compassion, teaches us new ways of seeing. And in these very strange days, don't forget there's more light each day. It's spring. Don't forget to look out your window. Don't forget to notice. Don't forget to take a walk. Don't forget to breathe in the air. There's more light each day. Christ, our light, touches our eyes, makes us whole, enables us to see people in new ways we never saw before, enables us to see the power of community in new ways that we never knew before, enables us to see the big picture like we never saw before, enables us to step into an unknown like we've never known before. I remember from the mid-1980s through the, throughout the 90s, during the height of the AIDS epidemic, each Memorial Day in Chicago, most often at St. Clement Church in Lincoln Park, not that far from Holy Trinity, there was a Memorial Day liturgy where many people gathered and the church was full. And I'm old enough to remember that back then, Persons living with AIDS were looked upon like lepers with great stigma and shame. But at that service, people came together to laugh and to cry and to remember. And one of the things that I most remember from those days is that at the end of the liturgy or near the end, they sang the hymn, Healer of Our Every Ill. And people would go forward to write names on banners, to, to weep and to trust that there could be a new tomorrow. The words are so wonderful for this text and for this time, healer of our every ill, light of each tomorrow. Give us peace beyond our fear and hope beyond our sorrow. It's an, it's an amazing synchronicity that the Psalm for today is Psalm 23, used by individuals and communities in dark times and hard times and times of struggle in times of grief, in times of, in times of hope, that God is with us through the darkest valley, that the table is spread before us even as we long to be back at the Lord's table, that we are anointed with oil in our baptism, and even this day we long for that healing touch as well. Healer of our every ill, light of each tomorrow, give us peace beyond our fear and hope beyond our sorrow.